Well, the mud run was an event that a number of our young, younger people here at Covenant took part in, including my uh, youngest daughter, uh, Megan. I just remember after the mud run, seeing her, she was covered from head to toe in mud, almost to the point of being unrecognizable by her father. And I thought to myself, how in the world will this girl ever be clean again? Well, a good hosing outside on the driveway and then copious amounts of water soap and scrubbing in the shower took care of all that. You know, external filth is relatively easy to clean up. But there is a filth, there is a defilement that is impossible for men and women and young people like you and me to ever clean up on our own. It is that, that inward feeling of I am dirty, the core of my being. Maybe we would describe it as not just simply an external filth, but an inward moral filth before God. And so today our, our passage really deals with God's answer, how can I ever come to the place of feeling clean on the inside. In Leviticus chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, all the way through Leviticus chapter 5, verse 13, is about the purification offering that actually answers that question. How can I feel clean? Is there a way for my realization that I'm dirty on the inside? To be dealt with. So as we have done in the past or previous messages, we'll simply read a representative number of verses of this passage, and it's really verses 1 through 12 of chapter 4. So if you turn to the book of Leviticus, we'll begin reading in chapter 4 and verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, if anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things, not to be done, and does any of them, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hands on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary, that is the holy of holies. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys, just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of the peace offerings, 
and the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the skin of the bull and all its flesh, with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, all the rest of the bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place to the ash heap and shall burn it up on the fire of the wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect. It revives the soul. And may God's word today revive our souls. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and commit our time to him that he might apply his word to our hearts. Father in heaven, each of us here today is painfully aware of the defiling, dishonoring feeling of sin, where we would say, I feel dirty on the inside. Encourage us today with your mercy that has provided a way that though we are sinful people, yet we can be as white as snow, pure, clean before you through the work of Christ Jesus. Pray these things in his name. Amen. So God has provided a way that the Israelites might be ritually pure, that is this external ceremonial purity, but it also points to a greater purity. It points to a greater sacrifice. It points to an ultimate purification that not just purifies one ceremonially on the outside, but more importantly, purifies one inwardly, deals with that that defiling, dishonoring sin that we all struggle with as sons and daughters of Adam. And so today we will look at three things. On your sermon outline, number two is now number one, and number one is now number two, so just make that uh, correction. We'll deal with the purification from sin, the defilement of sin, and then the ultimate purification of sin. As we've talked about in the past, all of these offerings that we're reading about in the first parts of Leviticus point to something greater, point to Jesus, and help us understand aspects of his redeeming work and no less the case today. So first, the purification from sin. Just want to summarize the, uh, the procedure here with this Offering We see in chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, that the sin addressed mostly unintentional sins, though in verse 1 we see an example of an intentional sin. But for the most part, unintentional sins. An Israelite is going about his business, and he may know the law, but he doesn't realize that he's violated it. Maybe he's touched something unclean, and he did not realize that. And in some cases, the Israelite may not really know the law, and yet comes to the place, either intentionally or not, where he senses the guilt. It's been brought to his attention that he's actually guilty before the Lord of violating a particular uh, commandment. I might be driving down Rolling Road, and I might be thinking about you, the people here at Covenant, knowing the speed limit is 35 looking down and I'm going 45, unintentional 
sin. And then if I'm out in the country, I may be driving going 55, and I have no idea what the speed limit is. So I may not even know the law. And so for one who has come to the place of seeing or understanding that he's guilty, even if he has sinned unintentionally, then he is to bring a sin or purification offering. And if you look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, you'll see some additional examples of how the Israelites might have sinned intentionally in verse 1 and then also unintentionally. We have to see this. If one can sin unintentionally that demands a purification offering, how much more do we need to present a purification offering when we intentionally sin? So this passage is really talking about sin, period, intentional or unintentional. And just a word about the title of this sin. It's called in the ESV a sin offering, but because sin and impurity both defile and defilement must be dealt with, some commentators would say a better description of this offering is a purification offering, pointing to that defilement due to sin being purified from the offerer. Well, if the high priest is made aware that he has sinned, then there's a provision for him to make a sin offering. We see this in verses 1 through 12 that we read just a few moments ago. He is to bring a bull that is without blemish to the entrance to the tent of meeting, just like the other offerings that we have talked about. He is to lay his hands on top of that, that bull, identifying him, himself with that bull, and more importantly, identifying that bull with him so that that sacrifice will be accepted in his place. And then he is to slaughter that bull. He is to collect that blood He is to take some of that blood and to actually the high priest, he goes into the tabernacle, into the holy place, and he takes his finger and he sprinkles seven times, that is the number for complete, he sprinkles seven times blood before the veil that separates the holy place from the sanctuary or the most holy place where God is enthroned there on the Ark of the Covenant. And then he takes some of that blood and he goes to the altar of incense there in the holy place and he places that blood on the horns of the altar, signifying the whole altar is now covered by that blood. Then he takes the rest of the blood and he takes it out to the the altar of burnt offerings there out at the entrance and he pours the blood there at the base. And, of course, he slaughters, he uh, carves up the animal. All the fat is taken off, like in the peace or fellowship offering. It is burned, but all the meat, the head, the legs, the skin, everything else is taken outside the camp, and it is burned on the ash heap. And so the high priest has been cleansed from defilement through this offering. And then the congregation... If the congregation, we didn't read this, but you can read it later in verses 13 through 21, the congregation as a whole 
comes to the realization, oh my, we've sinned. We've, we've defiled ourselves. Then they are to bring a purification offering. And the high priest officiated the purification offering that he brought. The high priest also officiates the offering the congregation brings. But it is the elders of the congregation who come and lay hands, representing the people, who come and lay hands on that bull without blemish. And the process is the same, with that exception of the elders laying hands on the bull. And then a third group we, we note in verses 22 through 26, if a leader, maybe the leader of a family, the leader of one of the clans, some leader of Israel sins, and he's aware of that, then he has to come and make a purification offering. The difference is this, not a bull, but a male goat without blemish, and not the high priest, but a priest officiates. And some of the blood is taken and it is applied to the horn of the altar of the burnt offering, not, is, the blood is not taken into the tent of meeting, it simply remains outside for the leader. And according to chapter 6, verses 24 through 30, the priest gets to eat all the meat of that leader's purification offering. And then a fourth group of people... It's just the common people, the common Israelite. The procedure is the same for the leader. We see, about, we see this in verses 27 through 35, with the exception that a female goat or sheep without blemish is to be brought. And so the idea here is that the blood of the purification offering makes atonement for sin, provides forgiveness And in that, the defilement that that sin has caused has been removed from the high priest, from the congregation, from the leader, and from the common Israelite. And the fat of those animal sacrifices, of course, belongs to God and is burnt there on the altar. In chapter 5, verses 7 through 13, we see once again this gracious provision for the common Israelite that could not afford to bring a lamb. They could bring turtle doves and pigeons. And if they could not afford that, they could even bring a grain offering. And these lesser offerings are not really lesser because they accomplish exactly the same thing as the great high priest bringing a bull without blemish, the costliest of sacrifices. Again, God's mercy. So every Israelite, from the high priest all the way down to the, the least person among the common people of Israel, had the opportunity to present a purification offering, to make atonement so that this defilement due to their sin, unintentional or intentional, might be removed. Well, secondly, that's the purification offering, and then it's because sin is defiling, isn't it? And no amount of water, soap, and scrubbing can take away 
the defilement due to our sin can cleanse us from that inward feeling of, I am dirty before God. I read an account of a woman. Let me, let me just pause and say that there may be some things that I say today that you'll have to circle back around with your young children and talk about. And I'm trying to be as uh, careful as I can in how I talk about these things. But we need to face it, um, sin is not pretty. And I hope parents with smaller children that you'll take, or even teenagers, you'll take the opportunity to talk about how sin can defile, and not only how one's own personal sin can defile, but how we can feel dirty because of someone else's sin that has been perpetrated upon us. And so I read, of, I read an account of a woman who was a victim of uh, child abuse, and she was a young girl, and, and, and she remembered going to the bathroom and just washing her hands over and over and over again, trying to get clean. And no matter how much she washed her hands, no matter how hard she scrubbed, no matter how much water, how much soap she used, she still felt dirty, even though she did not sin. Someone sinned against her. Don't be fooled into thinking that sin just affects the perpetrator. There are victims often that suffer terribly because of the defiling, dishonoring sin of another. I read an account of a 14-year-old girl. It's one of the saddest accounts. And she had a boyfriend, and they decided to be intimate with one another and they sinned sexual immorality a 14 year old girl and a 16 year old boy and two days later the 14 year old girl who thought she had found her the love of her life discovered that the 16 year old boyfriend had been sexually active with other girls she was crushed she felt completely out of juice, I will speak loudly. <laughs> I'm sure God's got a plan for this, but it was not mine. She felt dirty, and she said, I would give anything 
to have my virginity back? What can I do? You see, sin defiles when we sin. Sin defiles when others sin against us. And sin defiles not only with, with these more notable sins, like I've just described, but have you ever felt dirty like I have by simply having an impure thought, by speaking a harsh word, by realizing, oh my, I have become really angry, and you feel dirty inside? By nature, we are filthy sinners before God. And even those who have been redeemed. <laughs> Speaking of redemption, God's redemption, who knows the extent of it, even to sound systems. Even those who are in Christ Jesus with that old dirt clinging to us. We continually need the cleansing power of Jesus' blood because we continually to feel dirty, don't we, on the inside. We can feel more clean after our mud-covered, mud-running bodies have been cleaned up than we can ever feel trying to clean that inward dirt that stains us so terribly. And so our text today shows us the, the defiling, dishonoring nature of sin. It makes us feel dirty. And the first thing is that this defiling effect of sin impacts the entire community. It brings dishonor to the whole the individual Israelite sins and dishonors himself. He is defiled, but everyone that is associated with him is dishonored. And more grievously, ultimately, God is dishonored by our defiling sin. That's why a good way to think about sin is that it is defiling dishonor of ourselves, of those associated with us, ultimately and more grievously, God himself. And just to illustrate this, I don't, I don't have a, a, a handful of dust, but if I had a big, big handful or bucket of dust and I walked out in the middle of the sanctuary and I just threw it up in the air, you know what dust does? I can tell you right now, that dust is not going to every molecule settled back in that bucket. Do you, do you understand that? That dust is going to just simply, given enough time and enough air current, would settle on everything in here and every one. That's what dust does. That's what it does in my home. And so if that bucket of dust represents my defiling, dishonoring sin, it affects every single one of you. It affects even the pews in this sanctuary and ultimately that defiling dishonoring dust settles on the honor of God's name itself and dishonors him look at what is cleansed in this passage of scripture not only the people 
but the tent of meeting, the sanctuary. Not because of God's sin, but because of the people's sin, because of the high priest's sin, because of the congregation's sin. And secondly, the defiling effects of sin varied in seriousness. And it depended on the level of responsibility of the individual. And, and we see this very clearly in the way the text is written. It begins with the greater and goes to the lesser. The one with greater responsibility, the high priest, the one with, less, the one with lesser responsibility, the common Israelite. And notice the sacrifices that were made. The high priest and the... If, if the high priest and the congregation needed a purification offering, they would bring the costliest of sacrifices, a bull, a male bull without blemish. And then, of course, down to the common Israelite could even be an amount of fine flour. And the point is that our sin affects everyone, and a leader's sin is more serious. Now, a word about leaders. I uh, read an article recently in World Magazine. It's in September edition. It's entitled, Crouching at Every Door. The article is about three Protestant church leaders accused of sexual misconduct. A youth pastor is not only accused but is charged with sexual crimes against minors, those minors being young girls in his youth group. A pastor where women have come forth and for years have reported that he sexually harassed them. He resigned because of an investigation. The entire leadership of the church resigned because of the concern of there being a cover-up, not to deal with it. And the two pastors that took over after the prominent pastor of this megachurch resigned, they also resigned. And all of this was reported not in World Magazine, but in a, a widespread uh, magazine just in the secular community. And then a third example is given of a very popular Christian conference speaker who is also a professor at a major Christian university who had reports that date back years where he was inappropriate in a sexual nature with not only women at these conferences where he was a speaker, but women that were students of his that, that he taught. The, the article highlights first the pervasive problem of sexual misconduct, we, we look at the Catholic Church and we go, my goodness, what a mess. Brothers and sisters, 
that sin is at our door in the evangelical church. Don't point fingers at the Catholics because we've got a problem with common church members. Don't you like to be called common church members? When it comes to this, I wish I were a common church member, but I'm not. I'm a leader. That there's sexual misconduct amongst the leadership of evangelical churches throughout this country. And the sin of a leader affects so much more and is so much more serious than the sin of a non-leader. God's name is drugged through the mud and dishonored. People are affected throughout the church. The whole congregation is affected. The damage of the sin of leaders is, in many respects, incalculable. And we see the proof of it right here in Leviticus chapter 4. Because of the high priest, his sin, unintentional or intentional, was so much more damaging than the common Israelite. And it's reflected in how that sin was offered as well as the sacrifice that was used. And so I speak to myself and all of our leaders here at Covenant, elders, deacons, beginning with me, we must be ever vigilant of the defiling, dishonoring nature of our sin, public or private, great or small. It all dishonors, most grievously, God. We must pray for one another, and you, the congregation, must pray for us. We must hold one another accountable and keep directing one another to Jesus, who is the one that can make the foulest clean. Our passage speaks to the need for God to deal with the defiling, dishonoring sin of sinners, from the leadership all the way down to the common member in the pew like you. And it is, it is this defilement from which we need purification ultimately. And this is the third point that I want us to just to, to talk about. Am I on here? <laughs> the Old Testament sacrifice points to the ultimate sacrifice. And the ultimate sacrifice, obviously, is the sacrifice that Jesus made. All right, so I am most gifted at getting stains, especially coffee stains, on my white shirt. I am greatly impressed by this little stick called a tie stick. 
And I take that Tide stick, it's not a commercial, I take the Tide stick and you just poke it on the stain and rub it around a little bit. And I've just been so amazed how the stain just disappears. No stain is more problematic than a blood stain on a white shirt just before the worship service. And the tie stick will not even touch that stain. I figured that out. Blood stains. And it really takes some effort to get it out. But like the tie stick, there is blood that doesn't stain that in an instant actually removes stains. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that is the mercy of God in dealing with that defilement, that dishonoring, defiling sin that makes us unacceptable before God. Listen to these scriptures. Josh read this earlier. Titus 2. I'll just read a couple of verses. Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The blood of Jesus that purifies. Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering he has perfected, he has cleaned up, he has cleansed, he has purified for all time those who are being sanctified. 1 John 1, 9 through 10, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then John goes on to say, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Isaiah 1, 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Th though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. You see, that purification offering in the Old Testament points to the ultimate purification offering, which is Jesus Christ shedding his blood, giving his body, that we might have atonement and be forgiven and be someone coming to you who, as an adult, they remember back to 
times they were abused as a child, and that's defined how they lived. And inwardly, they always felt dirty. What do you do with that? Is there any hope for cleansing? For someone to be able to come and say, What about for those who actually commit sin, even grievous sin, and they're labored with guilt and shame? They put on a good face here at church. Oh, yes, everybody seems to be doing well, but inwardly they are dying. Inwardly they are dirty. Inwardly they just hope that somehow they might feel clean. dirty that you can't make worthy. You wash me in mercy. I am clean. Wash in the blood of your sacrifice. Your blood flowed red and made me white. My dirty rags are purified. I am clean. If our dirty feelings deep down inside is because of our own defiling, dishonoring sin, or if our dirty feelings deep down inside is, inside is the cause, we are a victim of sin that has been perpetrated against us. And no matter how many times you wash your hands, you can't feel clean. There is cleansing in the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. What? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And may we know, may we believe, may we trust in the blood of Jesus that makes the foulest clean, that makes the most sin-stained person as white as snow that makes someone who has felt dirty for a lifetime finally come to the place of saying, in Christ Jesus, I am clean. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would direct us uh, to that, that cleansing flow, that we would trust in Jesus, that we would experience what it means to be washed in the blood, the blood that makes the foulest clean inside and out. Draw us to Jesus, I pray, in whatever state we are in, in whatever degree of dirtiness that has encompassed our soul. Draw us to Jesus where we can say, I am clean. If you would take your hymnal and turn to a hymn that points us to what we've been talking about today, there is a fountain filled with blood. Hymn number 253, please stand.